If only creativity had economy code. Welcome to the Church Mag Podcast. This episode, we talk about how to get projects going, five questions with Church Mag author Chris Wilson, and top posts from around the web. Dreaming versus doing, how to get projects going, how to get started with projects. Jeremy, dreaming versus doing, how do you get a project started? For me, the biggest thing about dreaming versus doing is that there's a fine balance. It's almost like you are trying to juggle a couple of different things and you need to make sure that when you dream that you are vision casting and coming up with great ideas, not allowing yourself to limit what the possibilities could be. But then there's this fine line of where do you stop dreaming and start doing? When do you have enough dreaming that you feel like you cover all the possibilities to start doing? And so within the church tech realm, to be able to have those times where you simply figure out what could be great, what could be an amazing thing to add to your ministry, what is something that would be awesome to be able to do for the church, for the community to share the gospel. But then how do you transition well into doing? I think a lot of times with the dreaming, especially with church tech, is because so much church tech is volunteer-based, things like deadlines don't really exist. And I think as we approach Church Mag 2.0 and we're talking about redesign and those kind of things, we can do this dreaming all day, every day. But Part of that process is saying, look, we want to have this done by a particular date, so we set up and we create a timeline, we come up with due dates and deadlines, because without due dates and deadlines, you never, you're, you're never going to start doing. So we've given ourselves a certain amount of time to dream, and then we allow ourselves a certain amount of doing. Uh, if you don't set up those deadlines, then... You're just going to get stuck in that dreaming stage. I completely agree. I think uh, I think deadlines is one of the biggest problems there. Uh, deadlines and and action points. Like I've been in so many meetings where we will talk, we'll talk, we'll talk, we'll talk, and then we walk away, and I'm like, okay, what what came out of that? What did we decide? What what are we doing next? And so I think that having clear action points and a clear timetable to execute those is one of the biggest problems. Um, we're Right now, we've got two tech projects underway here. We've been waiting six months on one of them because we told someone, hey, all right, go do it. It's yours to do. Get it done. But we didn't give them a deadline. And so we have literally been waiting six months just to get this thing done. And it's those situations where it's a it's a volunteer, but it's a, it's a layered situation. Like every church situation is layered. So you can't treat volunteers like you would employees. And you can't expect the same thing out of them you would a, a paid uh, tech person, which you know some churches are lucky enough to have those people. It, it's it creates a whole other animal when you're trying to move from uh, the theoretical stage to the actual the actualization, the concrete stage, because you get so many other things to. Um, it's working against you. I, know that's, I, don't mean, I don't mean negative about it, but it kind of comes down that way that you get people who are giving their time, and you have to lead them in a gentle and yet firm way to say, guys, here's what I want to see. Here's how I need you to, to go about it in, in, in this time frame. Yeah, Jeremy, your new position at Youth for Christ, uh, working with their social media, you, you've you just started it. So I know you're kind of in the middle of the dreaming versus doing, because that's exactly what you're facing. What would you say if a church tech team, creative team, worship team, whatever it may be, what do you think the key is as far as this dreaming versus doing in, in your experience? Because you're dealing with it like right now. Sure. Well, and I think that in the parachurch, it's maybe a little different than with the congregation right there, as opposed to right. an organization that has people all over the nation, the world. 
and from this corporate figurehead to be able to dream and to navigate I could probably spend my entire 12 months just doing that the entire time and a new project comes up and another situation comes into play and we have to change things here because we don't have the money anymore. And Jeremy, I don't think that the lines between your local church, your nonprofit and your for-profit business, I, I don't know is that the lines that separate those things are necessarily that definitive, that there's a lot of overlap when you approach projects. Mm-hmm. Well, there is, but then you're working with new people, and so you got to explain the dream to someone else and to be able to get them on board with how to use it well. So for me, social media, um, we just had a golf outing preparation where I just told them some great ways to be able to, to use social media in a new way where there's no account made and they're just now launching this new idea of doing golfing for as a fundraiser in a, in a new way. But then there's this leadership initiative with someone else. And so it's almost like you're dreaming together and trying to get them to buy into something, but at the same time trying to understand the context and how something can work well. So it is different in the sense that each new project, you kind of have to dream new, dream well, but then that process of being able to go from here's some great ideas to here's something great to do. I think for me, that's the biggest thing. And, and yet at the same time, my experience with working with churches is we actually don't dream enough, at least within the church tech realm, where we come in and at the beginning of the budget year, we have this thought of here's something great we could do. But that's not how technology works. Within three months, there's something new, something amazing. And if we don't allow for our, our environment to be able to dream and to engage well with our volunteers, our mission and our church staff to be able to have that ability to come up with something great in the moment or have little times throughout the year to be able to just dream. And if nothing comes of it, nothing comes of it. That for me is almost a waste because of the way technology works. Well, I think that we have a tendency to have the mentality of it works. So leave it alone. All we really care about is whether or not it works. And I think that that might be a little bit of a divide between those that are heavy tech versus those that are heavy creative. You know, somebody who's who's more creative or part of the creative arts of media or the worship team, you know, they like to mix it up and try things new because that's just, that's their leaning, that is their tendency, whereas your pure church tech guys, you know, the real tech gearhead kind of guys, you know, they just want to work, they want to work well, and they don't want to, you know, once once it's where they like it and they're comfortable with it, they don't want to ever change it. And I think that this dreaming really challenges that mentality. That's a great point, Eric. I think that part of the problem sometimes in a, in a church setting is you've got uh, a pastoral team or a, or, or a single pastor talking to a tech team and saying, guys, here's what I need you to do on the, on the web or in this area to uh, advance our ministry dream and the tech guys are kind of like, but what we already have there works. And, you know, it's a a gentle argument between, yes, it works technically, but it's not fulfilling this aspect of what we're trying to do uh, for the church overall. And I I think that that might be an issue where I think across the board, churches need to bring lay people of all all volunteering uh, shapes and sizes into that dreaming process a little bit more. And I think that tech teams, which I've been been a part of a tech team before, and now I'm on staff at a church. And I think sometimes the tech guys need to understand you're not just there to, you know, working on a sound booth. You don't just set it and and leave it. You have to make adjustments. There are changes need to be made uh, if things aren't going right. If you're getting feedback, if things don't sound proper, you've got to... To make the adjustment, and there are times when the tech team is going to adjust certain projects and certain elements of their ministry to to better suit the changing needs of the church. Bottom line, guys, 
How do you get projects going? Well, I think that it takes a task of understanding your church culture and so really diving into the congregation and knowing what you want out of everything and then being able to have the background and the experience with technology to be able to just go forward. And and probably that is the best part of dreaming is that when you understand everything and everything is just beautifully running together and you ask that question, what do you guys want to do? that the questions and the comments that come out of that will shape something amazing. And that amazingness might be, let's do nothing. And that's awesome. And at the same time, something might come out of it with the latest iPhone or the latest technology that says, let's do this. And so you run with it. And I think that if you can have those two in hand where you understand technology, and at the same time, you understand your church technology, in there, you can actually come to a definitive statement of, we need to do this now, or we just need to hold off. Phil, how do you get projects going? I think that in a practical way, you need to establish a point person. There has to be somebody who is in in charge of the project, who can coordinate with all the moving parts and get it going. Uh, They don't always have to be the most technically inclined person, but they need to know what's going on and and have a basic idea of how it works. But someone's got to be the person uh, it all comes back to. Someone's got to be the one who can hold the team accountable for getting it done. You need clearly defined deadlines. You need clearly identified and assigned action points. I think, you know, to you can sometimes people just meet to meet and it's it's a discussion for no point. But you need to have regular meetings where you okay, where are we at on this? What do you need from me? What do you need from this person? And just to check in and make sure that you're all on the same page still. You're all working towards the same dream and that you're actually you're you're getting those small steps done. So the project comes together when when the deadline is reached. I would say that this dreaming versus doing and how to get your projects going is a lot like how you would approach a video game arcade. You go in there, you, you take a look at the, at the surroundings, you, you see what the different offerings are, you figure out what you want to do, you make your investment, and then you press start. Our five questions are with Chris Wilson. Chris Wilson is a church mag author who is an English teacher as a foreign language in Spain currently. He is from the UK. In his spare time, he likes to play musical instruments, drink coffee, and write on many blogs, including church mag. Chris, the first question that I have for you is, where do you keep your mobile phone at night? Ah, yeah, I've heard you ask this one before. I, I feel bad about my answer. I don't like my answer. I wish I wish my answer was like in another room turned off. The truth is, it's my alarm clock. It's right by my bed. I don't like that. I don't like that. <laughs> well, it, it's not as extreme as Marcus. Marcus, you know, he keeps his under the pillow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I can understand his reasons. But I, I can't do that. I need time away from all internet things, all computer electronic things just before I go to bed. All right. Question number two. And being that you're from the UK, and many people may or may not know this, you've lived in the Ukraine, you uh, teach English in Spain currently, and so this question, although it may seem obvious to some, may not be that obvious. So my question for you is, Chris, tea or coffee? (laughs) Uh, Okay, so before I went to Ukraine, I hated tea. 
I, I could not stand the stuff. I, I couldn't drink it at all. Um, and I drank coffee. Um, and I went to Ukraine and I'd been there for about a year. And it was one of my fun little facts that I kept bringing up. You know, I'm a British person who doesn't like tea. And after a while, someone was like, that's just wrong. And I, I, I decided, yes, that is just wrong. And I forced myself to like tea. And it took me about two weeks or so of drinking tea, not enjoying it, uh, and then later enjoying it. And now, now I like tea, but uh, coffee is my morning drink. Tea is my post, uh, post-lunch, post post a very large lunch uh, drink. And it's a hot liquid in a full stomach. Sends me to sleep every time for a good siesta. <laughs> well, being that I live in Italy, I have to then, since you said you like coffee, I have to then ask... How do you like your coffee? Because there's a lot of ways to have your coffee. I like my coffee with a touch of milk. Not a lot at all. Enough so that the color does change a bit, but not enough to actually give it any flavor of milk. And, and how do you like it brewed? I love it from an espresso machine, but usually I settle for a filter machine. Uh, I'd love one of those uh, Italian coffee makers. Uh, I may have to buy one soon. Now, do you, do you like the actual espresso style, or do you then like to water it down like an Americano? Yeah, uh, well, my, my standard in Spain is a cafe con leche, a coffee with milk, so which is actually more milk than I probably should. And my standard in the UK is flat white, which is, again, more milk than I say I like. But... Uh, when it's uh, when I'm just making it for myself, it's um, uh, sort of Americana style with a splash of milk. A splash of milk, okay. Yeah, rather than like a straight espresso with something. Because some people might hear that and think, oh, he likes a cappuccino, but that's... No, no, I don't like... That's too much milk. Too much milk, too frothy as well. Uh, not so much fan of that one. See, people? See? You would think coffee would be simple, but it's, but it's not. <laughs> it's not. It's never <laughs> simple. Awesome. All right. Question number three. Name your three most favorite blogs. Oh, three most favorite blogs. Oh, I've heard you ask this one, and I haven't prepared at all. Uh, <laughs> the ones that I keep checking and keep reading, I have to say Dustin, Dustin Stout's blog. I do keep reading that. There's an English language teaching one, which I really like, which is called... Uh, ELT rants, reviews, and blackfins. WordPress.com. It's by a guy I met for, who's teaching in South Korea, and so he has lots of complaints about <laughs> teaching education systems and stuff like that. But also some some positive things as well, and like takes the positive side of things. So I really like that one. And yeah, Jeremy Myers uh, blog. Uh, Till he comes. I think that's the correct name of it. I, I really liked that recently. He did a series on God is Guilty, which I, like, I'd liked it for a while. And then he did this series where he looked at sort of the arguments, uh, you know, the the things that people say about why God can uh, approving violence in the Old Testament and how that fits in. And it was just this amazing series where he went through loads of different viewpoints and then sort of look, went back and looked at the uh, the core values that we know about God from other places and then uh, and then sort of gave his idea right at the end. So, it, yeah, a really interesting series, really deep and really thought-provoking as well. I really enjoyed that one. So I, I like his blog in general. He has a lot of good stuff there. So. Cool. We'll definitely have the links to those blogs. All right, question number four. If someone wanted to start learning a new language today, 
how should they begin? So I think the first thing you've got to do is you've got to make sure that this is a language you really want to learn and a language you have a strong motive to learn. Because if you, uh, dabbling is okay, but if you're not, if you don't have that really strong motivation, you won't stick it out when it, when it gets too tough. Uh, the next thing I think would be to set like uh, achievable goals for where you want to get to. And to think in terms of uh, a skill to do rather than like a knowledge section. So something like ordering a cup of coffee would be a skill rather than things like I know all the numbers up to 100. Because you'll learn that as you, you can learn that for doing different skills. Just like learning knowledge isn't very motivating. The next thing I would probably say is... There are so many amazing resources that you can find online for free. Once you've got your the language that you really want to learn, it's not that difficult. Um, it's not about just learning vocabulary and learning grammar rules. Uh, you've got to use the language, you've got to practice it. And uh, try and find someone you can actually use it to communicate with. And the final thing would be really try and enjoy the process of learning the language rather than just what the goal that you want from it. If you find it something that's just pleasurable to do um, and if you find ways to make it such a fun experience, then it's so much easier to learn. You're going to have a good start of learning a language, I think. And of course, reading your Church Meg series on how to go about learning a new language before a mission trip. Of course, doing that as well. Yeah, that's a great start as well. All right, Chris, fifth and final question. What did you want to grow up and be when you were seven years old? It's a tough question. I do recognize it. And so I have been preparing for this one, actually, and trying to remember what I wanted to be. I think at about seven years old, I didn't particularly see a career that I wanted to do or wanted to be, but I did play make-believe a lot. So I would run around pretending that I was driving some construction truck or a fire engine, putting out fires and all th- uh, things like that. So I think possibly emergency service person would have been one of them. But I know that I also played like building and other things like that. So I'm, I'm not sure exactly what it was, but probably probably something in the emergency services that's awesome and here you are teaching english as a second language teaching english yeah clear clear line of progression there awesome chris thank you so much for being on church mag's five questions thank you very much for having me all right now it's time for top posts from around the web phil so i was on cnet and uh, i saw an article Uh, 10-year-old saves family in errant car and credits Mario Kart. Uh, Basically, this kid's great-grandmother passed out at the wheel of their uh, their vehicle. They go on high speed, and this 10-year-old kid... grabs a wheel and basically drives the car and like he navigates it into it. He, he can't control the brakes or the, or the, the pedals. I guess not because uh, grandma's in the way he navigates the car over into a ditch. So they don't hit another car or get hit themselves. Uh, and when asked how he learned to drive, he said Mario Kart. Well, when I play Mario Kart, I don't usually let up off the gas either. Yeah. Well, so. neither do I. Yeah, exactly. There's a, there's a break button on that game. I didn't even know there was. That's pretty amazing. And I, I obviously, it's a, it's a situ- situation won't come up much. And it's not, this is not a really practical, helpful article. But 
I think that there's been a lot of negative talk about video games. Um, I brought this up on the on the Church Mag um, social media back channel a while back about uh, we used to play video games at our church and we we stopped because someone complained about it. And I think there is there are some redeeming qualities to to video gameplay. Like any game, you learn some skills, some abilities. You you sharpen certain abilities you already have. Um, there's a lot of negative. Don't get me wrong. There's tons of negative to video games too. But this is a, a little bit of a, a happy thing. His family was was saved and and you know kept safe thanks to to Mario. Can't imagine a church being against Mario Kart. Oh no, no, it wasn't. It it, it wasn't video games in general. I mean, it obviously saves. Oh lives. yeah, clearly. <laughs> Did you guys ever play the Exodus game with Moses, where you would walk around and shoot out the word of God and destroy the Hittites? No lie. You're, you would walk around and destroying ethnic people groups. And then there was the Joshua game. It was like the exact same thing. Yeah. I played Spiritual Warfare, which was you went around at kind of a Zelda-esque kind of a thing, and you collected the fruits of the Spirit. But the funny thing is, is when you shot the, the fruits of the Spirit— and then when you hit the quote-unquote bad guys or those that were not saved, which were generally in prisons and near the bar, um, they would fall to their knees to then be saved. But they were actual literal fruit. So, like, you know, you were throwing apples and bananas at the unsaved. That's ridiculous, but awesome. We would play this Exodus game, like, like we played it nonstop. We never beat it. But uh, the, the the gameplay was just was tedious, and like you'd have to sing the praises of God to destroy boulders and whatnot. And uh, you know, you sh- you shut out musical notes. I'm, I'm googling so, this. Hold on, I'm on this right I'm now. So young, I did. But you're gonna Google it? Ju- okay, Phil, we went over this a couple weeks ago. This is a podcast. You're gonna show a video- YouTube video? I'm, I'm gonna post a link for Jeremy again. This is a podcast. No one's gonna see. Th- we'll, we'll put it in the link dump. <laughs> Come on, dude, Phil. We need to send you like a FAQ on podcast or something. I don't. I'm sorry. Did you ever play this, Jeremy? No, I haven't. I I've seen several different mockups of different Christian video games, but no. Yeah, these were old 8-bit games, and didn't you have to like hold the reset button while you put in the cartridge or some funky thing like that, Phil? None of mine. Mine worked fine. Um, but of course, we 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 blew in the cartridge whenever it wouldn't show up right. Well, that's that was the Nintendo life. I mean, that's just what it was. The genre is listed as puzzle slash Christian, meaning it's a puzzling Christian adaptation <laughs> on a video game. We still don't know why they made it this way. No. Okay, Jeremy, your top is from around the web. What do you got, man? So I found a website from faithcontext.com about four familiar church social media problems and how to solve them. Uh, has a lot of great content for how to engage with social media well for yourself. And so it talks about getting past all the noise, not getting lost in it, dealing with burnout with social media, which is actually quite interesting not allowing your church members to participate as well as running out of ideas. And so there's these four different things that really struggle with churches using social media. Great starting point for being able to answer those questions for your church, as well as he has a lot of great recommended readings and resources I've already clicked through. So definitely check out that link. But understanding what does this mean if your church is going to invest in social media, which is my main worry all the time for the next year, what does that mean as far as doing it well and being able to continue to do it well? I, I think you're, I think the idea of bringing lay people into social media is a great thing. Um, yeah, I think it's it's empowering people. But think about that statement, Phil. 
bring lay people into social media. I mean, isn't that what social media is all about? The lay people? No, totally. And that's what I, I, what I mean, I guess, in that context is involving non-pastoral staff in, in advancing the, the kingdom through social media in a strategic, in a strategic way. It's, it, it can't be just a, hey, we'd love it if all you guys all tweeted with this hashtag, you know, and it has to be a way where you observe people who have a skill, because everyone's got social media skills. Uh, but you, bring, you work with people who know how to use social media and you like look here's what we're trying to do jeremy has social media skills oh yeah totally he's pro literally did your business card and say social media pro on it yet jeremy because it, it needs to social media specialist really nice yeah. well i have to explain what a social media specialist is and i'm like i don't know what that means so we'll just go with it <laughs> i'm glad jeremy has a job that he has i think social media is one of the um areas where the, the church is perhaps the most active and least effective. And and so I think that that's something we, that definitely needs to be looked at uh, nationwide among churches. Slam dunk. Yeah, I think totally. Oh, in my mind, and maybe I'm totally wrong here, I think social media, I think for me, blogging is your centerpiece and social media are your ways of of disseminating content, but also of bringing discussion about the content you've you've shared, and 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 like you're doing with, with the the current church mag Twitter feed, it's also bringing discussion about other content that's on the web. Well, and I think it's a church pulpit trying to get into social media, as well as just engaging well in marketing. And I don't think that the old traditional approaches work well. So how do you integrate the two? And I think there's a lot of struggle right now with that of. How do you share the gospel online? And there's no clear, correct way to do it right now. Yeah. Let, let, me, let me get a little window to my soul. Just so you know, Phil, I'm a little scared right now, and I have my hand on the window to slam it shut. As well it should be. Um, I was like 13 years old getting on America online for the first time. Um, my dad was showing me how to do it, and I got on a message board, and – I don't even remember what board it was on. I think it was a religious discussion board, but it was it was not a Christian board. It was just an open discussion. And my first post was just, you all need to repent and accept Christ before the rapture because then you're going to go to hell. And I feel like that's what churches are still trying to do. It's nicer than that, a little more, a little more gentle than that. But that's that's the extent of their social media interaction. It's the church track is basically the approach. It's bumper sticker theology. Exactly. It's a exactly. repent now. You know, passing out tracks via Twitter. Twitter is like uh, bumper stickers. Okay, and then Facebook has become like tracks. Yes, ridiculous tracks. If you don't like, the devil wins, and I just want to block those people. Yeah, and it's not true because he doesn't win. No, no. not at all. Well, and it's theologically sound and relationally broken. You heard that? You hear that, mm. people? Jeremy just blew it up. He did. I am a specialist. It's a true story. Okay, I'm going to do my story now. It's uh, Rachel Held Evans. You may have seen this floating around the web. It was CNN, Why Millennials Are Leaving the Church, and... It was an excellent, excellent article. Basically, she says, it isn't the worship that keeps the millennials at church. It isn't having an awesome website that's going to keep millennials at the church. It isn't the really cool overhead projection that's going to have keep millennials at church or bring them, draw them to church. It is substance that is going to bring and keep millennials in the church. And until the church does that, millennials are... Are leaving. No, I would totally agree in sense that I am actually of the millennial generation. And for me, if I found a church that would be willing to 
do outreach and service projects, to be able to have discussions on the Bible and to be able to do discipleship amazing, that'd be the perfect church. And notice I did not say a single thing about technology or creativity or perfect sermons. I think if you can do those things really well, that is the perfect church for the millennials. Now, the older generations have created this beautiful, amazing, technologically flashy approach to business, and the church has adopted this business model that just doesn't connect, and I think that's the hugest disparity between it all. And we will tie this all together by what Phil said earlier in the podcast, and that was having laymen participate. And that's exactly what needs to happen. It's like you said, Jeremy, you never mentioned social media, you never mentioned nice worship experience or whatever you want to call it, or a nice church website, that those things come naturally. Millennials, I think, bring that naturally. And so that's not really needs to be a concern. It's it's really the substance that's important. Yeah, and the reality is those are the tools, but if you don't have the foundation with the models set up to interact well with the new people, the established people, then what's the point of having the tools? There's nothing to build. Awesome. So, you guys want to do this again sometime? Sure. Of course. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a minute. Phil, you were on the interwebs? Yeah, I transcend the, the regular web. I'm like Web 3.0 now. It's like the Matrix. I, I see it all in lines of green code. Scrolling like a gangster. They see me scrolling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a Touch Mag Production.